Are the rumours true that this is out of the flooring porter betting syndicate that we were... They're trying to hide the money here, Will. That's what they're trying to do now. I can either (laughs) confirm nor deny that. (laughs) (laughs) Subscribe to the Hurling Pod feed on the OTB Sports app now. OTB's The Hurling Pod with James Skell and Paul Murphy. People of Galway, we love you! I don't want to leave the people of Waterford down, you know, because they're my life, you know. People of Waterford are my life, you know, and I, 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 love, I, love, I love my county, you know. We love Jambalan! It's almost like they're afraid to kind of mm. go and hurl and just let themselves express themselves. They're, it's like as if they're nearly afraid to make a mistake and sometimes you have to make a mistake and just throw off that bit of nervousness and have a go. Yeah, it's pure constipated hurling. You're very welcome along to episode seven of the Hurling Pot. We're going to be looking back at the action from Semple Stadium from last Saturday in the Division 2A decider. Killian Doyle scoring one goal and 11 points. A hat-trick for Davy Glennon as Westmead bounced straight back to Division 1 after one year in 2A. A big boost for them ahead of the Leinster Championship, which gets underway with their game against Kilkenny in two weeks' time. In Division 1, Waterford again underlying their championship potential, scoring four goals and 20 points against Cork as they were crowned league champions in Division 1 for the fourth time in their history and Liam Cahill's side at this point looked like the team to beat going into Championship. Delighted to say James Scale, Paul Murphy with me to look back on the two games from the weekend and we'll start casting our eye towards Championship which is very much on the horizon as well. Lads, uh, very good afternoon to you. How are you doing Will? Hey Will, how's it going? Yeah, I must admit, I enjoyed my trip to Semple Stadium on Saturday to watch the two finals. As it worked out, we had two teams who put up huge scorelines and won comprehensibly enough in the end as it worked out. Can't but be impressed by both the teams with W, Westmead and Waterford at the end of the day. With Waterford to start with, Paul, you know, again, we talked about their scoring last week. James said six scoring where they were getting 31 scores a game on average. They're averaging three goals a game. Well, they put four past Cork at the weekend. Their forward line looked on fire and the returning Stephen Bennett uh, coming back into the team and scoring two goals and 11 points in the player of the game performance. Yeah, yeah, incredible really and it just goes to show the, the strength of the panel they have at the moment. Um, like we said, Stephen Bennett being away stepped seamlessly back in as we expected him to do. I think the the way he picked up the goal then as well just shows, I mean, we, we all know he racks up big scores, he's a very consistent free taker and undoubtedly we know what he does from play as well but, you know, the goal in... in Long ball down, caught it. Very simple, very old school in many ways. But just that he ran straight to the defence. And these, I wouldn't call them meandering runs that he he does. But I remember uh, in 2020, he did a similar enough run against Kilkenny. It's just where he ran at the goal and maybe someone came out to meet him and he just, you know, changed direction, lost the defender, still got a shot away. So, um, But Watford in general, looked, they just looked so impressive. Going forward, they had players running off the shoulder. They were able to get the scores. But then defending and probably really that's where the game was won and lost over the weekend uh, the contrast in Waterford defending the contrast in Cork defending um, Waterford just going back and there was even a few moments where when Waterford, Waterford defended really well and they won a ball that probably they weren't expected to win or they turned over a ball and maybe got a free out you just saw them all rallying around and celebrating as if they were after getting a score so um, just those rewards at the moment just really really comprehensive convincing win and um, again from a neutral point of view just really enjoyable to watch 
Yeah, and the thing about it is, Paul, when it comes to the finishes from Stephen Bennett for those goals, the first one's very instinctive. It comes to him in a kind of almost a left corner forward position, shoots across the goal, very, very much single-minded that he was going to go for goal. A lot more to do for the second one. As you say, it's not an intricate running play by Waterford. It's a longer ball into the half-forward line. Stephen Bennett gets into a position where he's got a chance to run a goal. And something that's very difficult to defend against, he's a very direct runner, but also it's very hard to determine what he's going to do shot-wise. He's got such good wrists, and when Mm. he shortened his grip and put the ball into the ground uh, past Collins before it got there, he really gave the goalkeeper no chance either. Yeah, exactly. And it's something I'm sure James would hear that forwards when they're practicing on keepers. Certainly, I would have always heard it down the years. You know, a lad takes a shot to be saying, look, don't keep it hip height for the goalkeeper. And the more often than not, the best shot to take is actually shooting it into the ground because ideally, okay, they look well when you go into top corner and different things, but there's a chance you might blaze it over, there's a chance you might hit it wide. And it's the added, I suppose, extra that when you shoot it into the ground, it makes it that bit harder for the keeper to predict, is it is the ball going to bounce up a little bit higher? Is it going to, you know, is it going to just go dead into the ground and roll into the goal? What's it going to do? So you're just making it that, hard, that bit harder on the keeper. But just in the moment as well, it's not often easy to think of these things as a forward running through and goal not that I know a huge amount about it but when you're running through you have enough to do that there's a defender on the shoulder should I pop it off is the shot on and then you even do the smart thing of of, of striking the ball into the ground um, and it just goes to show you like this is something they're practicing they're going for goals I mean the amount of goals are after getting in the league so far but not only you know are they turning going for goals seeking to put the pressure on the, on the opposition team but when they're true on goal you know they're very clinical in what they're doing once they're true on goal mm-hmm. Yeah, that was very true, James, of Patrick Hearn's goal too. And Desi Hutchinson, who actually had a really quiet game up until the point that the ball broke to him after, again, another good Waterford run through, uh, just takes it first time. And again, he managed to bounce it just in front of the goalkeeper before it went into the net. Is it very difficult, James, to face a shot like that? Because really, Collins had little or no chance for any of those four goals. Yeah, like there are certain shots whereby, um, I suppose firstly you have to kind of look at the, the, the Barrett shot that, that was taken on the Waterford goals and it was hit mid-height. When the shots come at that level, you can you can track the trajectory quite easily. All you do is get behind it and you can, it, there's no, I suppose, there's no unknown with it. You know it's coming at a certain level and you can stop it quite easily, to be honest. Um, when the ball hits the ground, there's a little bit of an unknown. It can either, as Paul said, hit the ground, skid, keep low, hit the ground, skid, come up. You just you're just not sure. So your only your best bet is to try to get your body behind it. Whereby when a shot comes mid height, the hurdle will do all will do all the work. Um, the four goals Waterford scored, I thought there was just it was just very very clever. Like you can go back to how they won the ball. They generally turned over Cork and broke tackles. Then they then they ran at Cork and it was not. I won't say there was orchestrated moves. I just looked at the the water forwards and said they're definitely on the same page. You know you see. Uh, Kylie was pulling out of that channel let, letting uh, Bennett run through for his second goal you see then when Desi gets the ball like he's he's way ahead of, of like O'Donoghue and Leary so he's he's obviously heading towards the goal not knowing what's coming when, the way Curran finished his shot I thought was absolutely excellent it was probably the best finish for me whereby he hits it near post when you're a goalkeeper and you see a guy coming a certain side you always 99% of the time you think he's going to go across your body to the open side of the goal but he put it on the near post which was a great finish and I guarantee you Collins was not expecting that he was expecting across his body um, so that was a super finish very smart finish and very well orchestrated by Waterford um, a real killer instinct across the board and like obviously people look at the goals but I, I was looking a bit further back watch how they won the ball um, like obviously Bennett's won as a primary possession winner but Waterford turning over Cork run, run that bodies and then Cork are running back with with to be honest, it has to be kind of a lazy element, kind of coasting back. There was no real intent. And when you contrast that with the way Waterford defended, it was chalk and cheese. 
I'll tell you what, James, when you're up in the crow's nest, one of the benefits of being in Thurlis where the press box is up at a good height, you've got a great view down onto the pitch. Not quite as good as the guy who was in the cherry picker above the goals <laughs> that was getting the puck out for TG Carr. And I felt for him because he was there for both the games and didn't get down at any point. So um, I don't know how you stand up there for seven hours in a row, but did a good job in getting those <laughs> shots. But, but we were up with a great view of it too. So it was very clear we were able to see him. I think on the TV, people might well have been able to pick out as well that Waterford once Cork came out and we knew how Cork were going to play their puck outs they've been going short and trying to work the ball out Waterford presses a team remarkably well on the puck out of the other team it isn't just one or two forwards manically running up to try and pressure a corner back they pressure as a team in kind of 10-15 yard intervals everyone steps up at the same time it's wonderful organisation I assume it takes a lot to get the team to be that coordinated in how they press as well it, it does and that's, that's stru- structural pressure so that, that's not just one guy or two guys kind of, I suppose, applying pressure themselves or acting as an individual. That is structured pressure as a team. And if you, the, the biggest part of it all for me is like the first tackle is important, but then the second tackle, third tackle is even more important. So, for example, there was a phase there in the uh, in the first half whereby sharp hook out went. First tackle was excellent. Went back to Patrick Collins. Then the second tackle came where the water forwards they're reading where the ball is going to go and they're running towards that area. They're basically shutting down and they're pushing Cork into a corner or out to the sideline to use as an extra defender. Super defender. Super defender. And it makes life very, I won't say very simple, it makes life quite easy for the guys back to pitch in your midfield or half-back line because the more pressure that's applied up top, the, the harder it is for a Cork defence to deliver. So that makes then the job easier for the opposition backs. You know, So like if you have someone who has time, like I always remember playing Cork one year and Joe Dean had time to point where he wanted the ball. You know, that signified to us that there was no real pressure out the field and Joe Dean could run to a space and a man could just pop a ball into him and you couldn't defend it, you know. Whereas in this instance, there's, it's, it's kind of a hit and hope situation because all you have is a cock defender who will have to lamp it down. He's under so much pressure. And that gives the Waterford defender or any defender as such a 50-50 chance, if not more, if the ball is coming down the way he wanted it. So you can imagine now you're a you're tied to Burka and you're big, you're strong, and you know there's pressure coming up top from your from your defenders or from your forwards, excuse me. Long ball comes down because Cork have no other option and you're tagged to work to run under. It's, it's, it's right up your street. So that is structured. That's that's a, like, I know we talk about work rate and work rate is kind of something a bit different, but it's tied in. But that's that's kind of part of their game plan whereby they apply such pressure to put the team out of their comfort zone. And ultimately then, they, they, they win a lot of the ball off opposition turnovers where they base a lot of their scores. So it's uh, it's fantastic to watch. And I know the goals, we talk about the goals and lovely scoring, but when you see a team working fierce hard in unison and they're very, very, they're all on symmetry, you know, it's, it's a fantastic spectacle. Yeah, because Paul, it was one of those things very noticeable from Cork when that pressure was coming on. They were having to play a lot lower percentage passes into their forward line, particularly as the first half started to wear on. So well, Robbie Robbie Flynn was showing a good bit of pace. You know, Patrick Horgan did come out and win a couple of frees after a period where I think Waterford had won six frees to none in the first kind of 20 minutes or so. But then Horgan eventually started to get out in front of his markers and win a couple of frees. And the thing was, there was a lot of ball coming from the Cork back line because of the pressure that they were under, which was bypassing midfield entirely. So unlike when they came back against Kilkenny and the likes of Fitzgibbon were able to run with the ball, they were having to play low percentage <coughs> passes into a Waterford half back line who were more than happy to mop up the ball continually. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it was something I, I saw at Cork at the start where you know we were talking last week about Cork maybe their half forward line coming out to meet this ball that was going to be coming out of the backs and asking questions of of the Watford full back line and we did see a few good balls delivered into Patrick Horgan. They got a few frees off it and you know it was in the balance there for a little bit. But you know, as the game kind of went on, Watford really got to grips with with what Cork were trying to do, and and it goes back to the earlier point that we were saying with James it was just that uh, Watford were pressing really well and really intelligently, and like that, I mean, Will, you made the point that you can just. I suppose frantically one man can run up and try and cut off a lot or a second lad can do it but when the whole team is doing it it's a completely different thing to be facing and really what they were trying to force Cork to do is if you want to deliver a ball you know they wanted a Cork team or Cork players to deliver it off the back foot there's a huge difference between a player running forward striking off the front foot you know getting the head up looking where he's going to deliver it or there's a huge difference between a fella having a half a second to have a look and then strikes it off the back, back foot with kind of a 50-50. Something I would always say is that a 50-50 ball is a defender's ball because a defender is used to fighting for this 70-30, 60-40, 80-20 ball. So now when they're faced with a 50-50 ball, I mean, a defender, like, your eyes will just light up. So I think any team I'd be playing in when I'd be chatting to the forwards with the club I'd be just saying look give the defenders a 50-50 chance of winning the ball that's all you want so if, if the forwards then will get the return that you know your defender is fighting for a 50-50 and that's what Watford seemed to be doing and in fairness like I said Cork at the start you know they were looking kind of dangerous Conor Lee Han won a great ball from a sideline they were lively you know Watford tried to go backwards the half forward line cut it out and Conor Lee Han got a great point so at the start of the match, I was going, OK, Cork have an idea of what they're going to do here and maybe they're going to ask a few questions. But for me, really, once Watford got to grasps with what Cork were trying to do, they really just squeezed them and imposed their game on them. And again, that's something we've seen with Rick over the last few years, that it was very hard for opposition teams to impose their game on Limerick and similar enough when you're looking for champions. And, you know, I think after this weekend, a lot of people are looking at Watford going, yeah, Cork did throw something decent at them in the first 30 minutes or so, but Watford were able to figure out what they were at and were able to get them to play into Watford's hands. And I think that's what, for me, was really dangerous over the weekend that Watford you know, really showed us they can do. Yeah, because I think, Paul, they were creating different types of chances. Like I've written down here in the programme that Cork had around 50 shots in goal. I think they had 45 between the scores and the wides, and they had five that dropped short and were mopped up either by the goalkeeper or one of the defenders uh, when a shot dropped short in front of goal. So the efficiency was 123 off around about 50 shots. Waterford, if you go back over their last three games, they've had 15 shots in goal. They've scored 10 of them. Like Waterford are creating better chances for their forwards than what we saw from Cork the other night. Yeah, exactly. And again, you know, we, we talked about um, the the Wexford Watford match last week, and we we're saying where Wexford were shooting from. It's one thing to take an opportunity, and, and, and forwards can shoot from any area, and it'll come up in a statistic that, you know, a shot was created or that you took the shot. But when you actually go back and look at the quality of what the shot was, what was the position they were in, were they within that really good scoring area that I suppose the larger D from around the 21 out to the 45 close to the 65 you want to be in front of the goal that's what's kind of considered good shooting area Watford get their players into those positions and if they're not in the position they generally recycle it now in fairness Cork would be a very good team for that as well and they've shown us that particularly in the Kilkenny match that you know if the shot isn't necessarily on and, and they're kind of calm they will return the ball back out and shoot from a good position but I, I think Watford that's something they're getting into their game is not giving the opposition team a chance to recycle that ball and by they're doing that by committing bodies into the area and committing and it's just a question with Watford uh, sorry not a question but it's just a thing with Watford what they do is they just defend you know they, they flood back 
even when they don't see exactly where the danger is going to pop up you know midfielders half forward line will flood back and just crowd out the area in, in the half chance that if a ball is recycled we're just going to block it out so look Cork were creating chances but again a lot of it comes down to was where were the shots taken from were they similar to Wexford the week before where you were shooting from the sideline to 45 under pressure is that the same thing as what Watford were doing no Watford were shooting from really good positions and like you said you know the stats the shots can be de- de- deceiving in some ways but when you read how much Watford are converting that says that they're in a better position when they're taking the shots hmm. James you were saying last week about the importance of the Watford system and now that it feels it's kind of matured over the three years that Liam Cattle has been in charge and that helps if they're going to be flexible about the players that they bring in. The options that they have within that forward line that can do things that are slightly different now makes them a very difficult prospect to actually defend against because we've been talking about how Kylie brings something a little bit different. Desi Hutchinson's pace mm-hmm. uh, means that they can go in behind you. We saw the bit of physicality from Stephen Bennett when he came back into the team at full forward. Their half forward line worked remarkably hard at the weekend too. And that's, you know, without having Austin Gleeson making the runs that would have been very helpful if he'd been available for the game too. If you know that players with a slightly different profile can come into that forward line and that the system can work, it makes it very difficult to plan to play this Waterford team. It's, it is difficult, you're right, um, because whether you like it or not as a defender, you're going to have to have a plan A, a plan B and plan C and you have no idea when it's going to be called upon. So you, the system of defending towards Jesse Hutchison is far different to you know, Montgomery or Curtin. It's just, they have great options. And like, I was I was, I was, was just viewing the game the last day and I was looking at, at Watford's ability to win primary possession under, under pressure. So that's the the idea of Bennett winning that, that high ball over Jice and taking, taking on the on the goal. And then I was, I was looking in contrast to look at Cork and say, have Cork anyone that can do that? And at the minute, I'm struggling. I, I don't, I don't mm-hmm. think, maybe with, with, with strength, power and pace, you could say Robbie O'Flynn, but they don't. Like, the, it's like that... Tactics is one thing, systems is another thing, but then you have to put down to individual capabilities. And when you have the likes of Bennett who can do that, take on a goal uh, from 30, 40 yards out, and you've got Desi Hutchinson with the great pace and touch work that he's got, then you mix it with the work rate of Montgomery and Curran, who can both score, and then the power to hold up Michael Kiley. They've just got options all over the place. And and I am guilty of it too. I was saying over the past couple of weeks, oh, the power command need to come back. Right now, he doesn't get in the team. You know, he, he's not in the team. He's a brilliant hurler excellent at dead, at dead balls but I'm saying to myself where do you put him like is he uh, a ravenous worker like you have like in the likes of Montgomery or a Daly or these people probably not he's probably a shooter but they have shooters on the pitch you bring in Isaac Leeson he starts every day that's obvious Jimmy Barron you know there's no, no problem with the midfield there so far so like they've got I, I'm, not, I'm not going to say the regs riches over the last couple of years but they've so, certainly built a panel that can play different different types of game they can go against different types of teams you know, who throw, throw different game plans at them, and they're probably they're obviously best positioned to take on Limerick, who who are perceived as the championship favourites, obviously. But uh, you you mentioned a while ago, Will, about when you're down on the touchline and and you can see the pace at which water do everything, and it just it just seems to be an overall intent to do, to do everything at 100 miles an hour. And if you watch numerous clips the last day when Cork put the ball into the full forward line, just watch Tide Dwarka and watch Jack Fager and them lads. They're absolutely bursting themselves to get back into the D and create a flood of Waterford bodies. You you look at any Cork opportunity the last day heading for goal and you press pause on the television and you'll count nine or ten outfield players in that zone. So there's no getting through. Contrast that with Cork. Look at all the goals. You press pause, especially on the first goal, and you see Mark Coleman, who's a brilliant hurler, Tim O'Mahony, and they're just coasting back. You know, So there's real intent on Waterford to do everything at 100 miles an hour. 
And uh, when you have that kind of focus and there seems to be, they're on a mission somewhat. That's what it feels like to me from the outside looking in. Um, they're not participating. They're looking to be serious contenders. And they want, as I said a couple of weeks ago, a league is lovely for Watford. But I think that team has graduated from that and they're looking for Ireland. Yeah, because um, I was telling James just before we started uh, recording the podcast that I was out in the pitch uh, talking to some of the Westmead lads when they were coming off with their 2A trophy and Waterford came out for the warm-up just to the side of the band. And everything Waterford doing the warm-up, even though it was just a case of maybe activating everything and just being ready for throwing everything was done at 100 miles an hour uh, this was a team who were like clearly very very determined to hit that game at full pace it's so so clear when you're there watching them actually doing things at close quarters and when it comes to selections I just want to play a bit of Liam Cal here because this is what Liam Cal had to say after the game about the idea of trying to fit players in because he's used around 25 27 players it's how they try and get this down to a starting 15 for championship the first thing you have to be is fully fit anyway if you're not 100 percent fit here in this environment in uh, in this particular squad you don't play and no matter how big a name you may be or what you may have achieved individual accolades down through the to the years if you're not fit you you, you can't play and uh, that'll be first, first and foremost to make sure that we're fully happy and confident that players coming back from injury are fit um, and then it'll be about uh, seeing how fellas turn up every night to train uh, it's not that we'll be doing a lot at training but we'd like to, to see how fellas carry themselves their body language what way the, their, their, their uh, hand-eye coordination and their ball work is going and you know you, you go off your eyes your eyes your eyes don't lie as they say so we'll be we'll be judging our eyes a lot over the next couple of training sessions Paul just coming back from what Liam Cowell was saying there I mean he's made it very clear so two things are going to have to be there if you're getting into this water for team you have to be 100% fit if you're going to play the style of hurling that they're playing and he says he's going to pick players based on form that he's going to see coming into the game against Tipperary and realistically if you're a manager this is the ideal situation because Austin Gleeson has to earn his way back into the team we hear that Jamie Barron was back training at full tilt with his club for the first time last weekend so he's close to a comeback you know a few other players like Conor Prunty was able to start Stephen Bennett was back in options 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 and if players want to get into the team it's going to be hard to unsettle anyone out who was starting in a league final where they score 420 yeah exactly and it just goes to show you where Watford are at at the moment I I remember so many conversations of Watford over the last few years and the conversation generally centred around where do you play Austin Gleeson, you know, where's his best position, is it centre back, is it centre forward and when you're asking those questions, for me it was, you know, they're not at a good place yet to go and actually win in All-Ireland. Now obviously, you know, they pushed for All-Irelands and got to them but maybe they weren't in having a panel in such a strong position that they could go and push for an All-Ireland. Whereas you look at the questions they're asking now and now it's where... You know, Austin Leeson missed the last game because he was suspended. I don't think anyone doubts that Austin Leeson won't be starting the next game. But, you know, when players are missing, Jamie Barron, Porrick Manning, these lads, when they're out for a few games, you do start asking the question because the panel is so strong is where do they fit back in? And that's ideally where any manager wants to have their team is that you have so many lads putting their hands up and so many lads taking their chances that you're kind of going, well, I have to play the lads who are who are proving it week in, week out. And... The type of game that Liam Cal is playing, it's it's completely understandable, but it's great to hear him saying it as well that, you know, you have to be 100% fit to play in this team because, you know, the energy that they're bringing to their game and what they're trying to do, I don't think he can be any other way. He can't carry anything onto this pitch. He can't carry any niggles because he seems to have his, his, his players in a position where they're going, I'm going to play for 55, 60 minutes at real high intensity. And if I find the end of myself in that time, there's a heap of lads to come on for me and we're going to maintain that tense intensity through the 70 minutes. So that seems to be what Liam Cal is doing and he has the panel now to go and do that. And it does, it makes complete, it makes complete sense uh, in what he's saying that 
they're, they're not in a position at the moment where they have to be playing or need to be playing a fella who is 80% or 90% fit or 95% fit. They have so many lads that are 100% fit and in a really good place, hurling really confidently and extremely fit that they don't need to take any chance by playing a fella that you know might only last 10 minutes or might only last 30 minutes. So it's still great to hear though that that's the mindset that Liam Cal. I think we all kind of thought that that's where they were and the mindset they were, they were going with. But... Um, it, it's great to hear him coming out and saying that that's the way they're, they're viewing it and as well I don't think there's any illusions with any Waterford player that over the last while a lot of players have proven themselves so don't feel hard done by if you're not in the starting 15 in, in the start of the championship because there's going to be a lot of hard decisions for Liam Callan as management to make before the championship starts Paul when it comes to Cork it was interesting reading Owen Cadigan who's like just out of the Cork panel writing about their current defensive setup and he was making the point that possibly, and we spoke about Mark Coleman a few weeks ago, might be better deployed further up the pitch. He's thinking maybe Coleman should be centre-half forward, move Karen Joyce to centre-half back. Also this feeling that potentially they have put too many hurlers, uh, and I mean that in the best possible way, is in not stopper defenders, but guys who are looking to play with the ball into their defence. Maybe that was exposed last weekend. What's your take on that, Paul? Yeah, it's interesting, and obviously it's interesting... Um you know that Cadigan obviously being in the team the last few years, there's no better man to maybe comment on it. And he would have also seen things in, in Cork training that, you know, maybe he's seen Coleman play in that position. Now, I wouldn't have seen a huge amount of it over the last few years or, or seen Mark Coleman play in that. But I would agree with him more so to the point that maybe there's, and it, maybe it sounds a bit harsh, but maybe there's too many nice hurlers in the backs as opposed to men who are going to go out there and, you know, go toe-toe the fella. It mightn't be glamorous, but... I'm going to go out there and do the dirty work. I mightn't get any of the plaudits or whatever. Or might if I win a ball back, I'm just going to pop it off in a hand pass and go back to defending again. Maybe they too have too many stickmen in the defences. Some lads would say, but um, it's uh, that to me would be closer to the point from what I see. Again, I believe Owen Cadigan probably knows a bit more than I do from from having been in the setup. But looking at it, and, and James even said it earlier, it's it's when. The, the team is coming at them when they're running at them and they have to turn and face back to their own goal it's the intensity at which they're going back to their own goal is the question I would have at the moment I don't think anyone doubts Cork going forward they've great hurlers and they've great you know the energy they've brought in some matches they've just been they've been brilliant going forward and particularly the last 15 minutes of the Kilkenny match I don't think anyone doubts them going forward and their capability it is the defending though it's okay we're all out going forward but are we all out going defending then do you know do we turn around and face our own goal as good as we do going forward that's where the question mark is at the moment and I'd agree with Owen Cadigan there saying that if you do have to sacrifice maybe one or two players who okay they're going to stick the ball down your throat with a, with a good 15 yard 20 yard 30 yard pass but any player at Intercounty should be doing that anyway so certainly if there's a few more lads you know, with a, bit, a small bit more steel, I think that's what they're looking for in defence at the moment. And maybe that's something, they have a very short turnaround time to figure out if that's mm-hmm. what they're going to do. But I think that the little bit more steel in defence is what's going to get them the greater gains in the championship. Because James, I've been impressed by Kieran Joyce. He's played generally very well. It would be a risk to move him to number six though. And like, as you mentioned earlier, Stephen Bennett gets in ahead of him, which is a large part of that second Bennett goal at the weekend. Mm-hmm. Like he's don't get me wrong, like he's he's had a good season so far. He's probably been one of the the very uh, I have to say a few bright spots in terms of the Cork defence. Um, but I'd look at them. I, I'd say he's probably a small bit um, too youthful for that for that position at the minute. I think he needs someone with a bit more seniority who's quite vocal, organised, and who's just a, a man, you know, who can basically bring the soldiers with him around him. So, you know, I I look at the Cork defence and I'm thinking, you know what? You hear an awful lot of management teams nowadays, and they'll say, right. We're going to play it the way we want to play, not worry about the opposition. 
But in Cork's defence, it's like they're set up to attack, attack, attack. So Coleman, O'Mahony, Downey, you see them shooting forward all the time. But really, they need to be set up to defend, first of all. You know, it's grand when you have the ball. When you don't have the ball, that's the issue. And the, the, the game the last day, albeit not as much of a demolition job in the first half, kind of had striking similarities to the way they conceded the Limerick goals last year, where the defence was at somewhat sixes and sevens. There was runners coming from all angles. There was no big hits going in. There was loads of space for the water forwards. Like, look at the fourth goal. Just look at the fourth goal and look how much space Desi Hutchinson has five yards from, from the goal. Look how much space he has. So it screams to me of a, of a, a set of hurlers in the, in, in the backs that don't know how to defend as a unit. And that's the key point right there. You can probably put in a tackle yourself. You can hook and block. But if you're running back trying to cover space or cut off a runner or, or stop stop a, a, you know, a shooter collectively, that's a unit. And that's the key of a defence. And you watch the way Waterford defend. They're defending all as a unit. So from number two out to, I'm going to say probably number 12, they're, able to, they're all able to defend. You know, I think you could rotate them guys all over the place and they'd fit in. So that's the biggest, I think, what the biggest probably question Kingston and his management team have going forward. And they have a very, very short space of time. It'll take a very, very bold, bold management group to move Coleman out of centre-back now with only two weeks left. You know, considering mm. he's played relatively the whole league camp, campaign there. You, I, I would see probably a positional change for wing-backs Wing-backs-wise, we're either down here or Mahoney moving forward and back, respectively. But putting Coleman out of six, I just don't know. It's a big, big change, and their first game is so important. When you consider the whole landscape of the championship could be changed on the back of this fixture. So they've got some big calls to make, but they have to do something, because otherwise it'll it'll happen again. You know, yeah. it'll happen again. Limerick have the blueprint now. They've Sorry, they created the blueprint, should I say. So they've done it last year. Now Waterford have done it again. And if they don't fix it right and either put in a sweeper or some, something, if they're going to play with that system, they're going to get routed again. Yeah, the, the shortest between uh, league and championship is the big problem there. And also, yeah. just the difficulty of fixtures to be going up against Limerick in the first week. And then you're behind the eight ball in many ways and under pressure if you lose yeah. your first fixture. It's the importance of that first game. And then you're fighting to try and qualify in a group that's going to be very difficult to uh, get to that provincial final because of the form of the Munster teams that we've seen so far this year. Like, yeah. I bumped in, James, to a, a Cork supporter on the stairs in Semple Stadium on my way back up after the interviews in the Division 2A final he was quick to point out I was fair to Cork on last week's pod uh, was the point that he made as I was brushing past him I uh, felt the 2E were a little bit unfair um, looking through the comments on the YouTube page last week I'm oh, going to bring go. up Kay Lynchy <laughs> on YouTube who had a right good cut at uh, James Skell yesterday even though I don't think Cork will win it this year how can Skell say they're a soft touch yet they get to an All-Ireland final last year and they beat Kilkenny in extra time the thing is and I, and I say this as someone who's apparently the fairest person to Cork in this group they've got to two finals and they've conceded heavily against both Limerick and Waterford yes they have and like Okay, let's, let's just take Cork and Kinney for a moment. Right? Let's, let's contrast the two teams for a second. So, Kinney, will they win the games they're expected to win? Yes, they will. Will they win 50% of the games they're not expected to win? They probably will. You know, that's down to sheer fight, I think. You know, Cork, will they win the games they're expected to win? Yes. Will they win 50% of the games they're not expected to win? No. Not a notion. They'll win 0%. You know, I'm not sure. I can't quantify why, why that is the reason. You know, I just feel that... When you get on top of Cork, you can route them. You know, route them big time. That there's no knee-jerk reaction. Or there's no fight, huge fight in them. And I think you'll never ever route Kenny. I can't remember the last time I've seen Kenny route it. You know, um, down down to sheer work rate, sheer fight. You know, and that's the question I have. They're beautiful hurlers. I've not questioned that whatsoever. They have the best stickmen probably in the country, along with probably Galway as well. You could say from a stickman perspective. Mm. But that 
grit or that fight you know it's, we can all throw swings and throw slaps but real hard tackling defensive unit you know kind of an all all round team performance going in the one direction they just haven't produced it you know and that's the size of it that's just the way like, I don't know I'll, I'll bring in Paul here I have to ask Paul because he's played against him as well I'm coming from a, from an opposition perspective that like in my whole career let's say in terms of championship I think Cork have beaten us once you know what I mean mm. and it was it was always have been said in our dressing room you get on top of them you put them down that's that started when we were 14 years of age yeah and it went right yeah. the way through to when we were seniors you know what I mean so that perception is there so well, the stage is yours Paul <laughs> back <laughs> yeah, me look, up or go after me <laughs> yeah no I mean I think uh, if, if I'm correct in saying I think I've only played Cork twice in championship one was 2013 where they bet us uh, down in Thurles and you know it was funny that day once once they got on top we were we played with 14 men for maybe 45 minutes of that game I think it was and you know, once they got on top of the last, I think, really 15 minutes, they were on top of us. You know, they started getting up in their face then and, and a few different things. And, you know, a few of our players kind of remember that afterwards, kind of saying, you know, it was interesting how they got in their face. But then the second time we played them was 2019 in the quarterfinal, where they were again, I suppose, expected to beat us in that game. And at half time, I think it might have been a draw or Cork might have been up by two points or something. There wasn't a whole lot in it. But we went in at half time, came out in the second half, got to grips with what they were doing, and we really kicked on. But what we felt really was that Bar Patrick Horgan had a great game that day. I think he scored maybe three, eight, or nine. He was just one of these one man shows that day. But other than that, we didn't feel a threat from anywhere else on the pitch. And it was something we commented on afterwards, maybe just saying that, you know, when we put it up to them, and once we, you know, I suppose started to put a gap between them you know you could feel our backs getting up and that we were going to push on top but nothing came back against us we expected this bit of resistance that didn't come back against us and that's something that I would have said whereas a lot of other teams I would have felt down the years would have at least got stuck in and you know tried to get something going so uh, maybe more Munster teams or more Munster players who have played against them over the years would have something else to say on that but it's just something I would you know something else I would have seen then as well last year okay the Beckel Kenny in the semi-final and brought the extra time and Shane Kingston had a great game that day but you know, sometimes I would feel that I wouldn't feel the same as against Watford or Wexford. Is that once they won that match, you questions where the head was at coming into the final then. That were they maybe enjoying coming into the final, were they maybe celebrating, not celebrating, going drinking pints, but enjoying a bit of a fanfare coming into an All-Ireland final and took their eyes off the prize into the final. That was something I thought about afterwards with the final. Whereas I wouldn't question Watford would do that or I wouldn't question Wexford would do that. So I know, I understand some people might say we're being harsh, but... Look, you're trying, we're trying to tease out here because we know they're capable of great things. We know they're capable, but we just, I suppose, what it comes down to for the likes of myself and James is just maybe between the ears. And I know there's maybe some Cork lads who would listen to this and say, you don't know what you're talking about. But that's just what I feel with this Cork team is that they can go out and impress one week and then the following week, it, it looks like a completely different team. And that's where the question mark still lies with me. Yeah, the opposite view uh, given by Seamus O.L., who I can confirm is not James Gell, who said, I can't disagree with him. Uh, Cork are perceived as a softer team than Kilkenny, Limerick, Waterford, Galway. You can't say that they're as physical as these teams. Their style of play is different enough and they don't rely on power, but they're not as physical, simply put. Is that part of it as well, James, like about kind of mixing it a little bit that's been an issue for Cork in some of the big games they've played in recent times? Yeah, I, I don't mind mixing it. Like Mixing is fine, you know, <clears throat> I suppose when someone says soft touch, automatically you think, oh, we're talking about the physical side of things, you know. Cork can mix it too. They've got some big bodies, you know. But it's very easy to mix it, you know, and, and be very, very vocal in someone's face when you're on top, you know. Can you really mix it when, when you're being, you know, when there's a team coming at you for 20 minutes for a prolonged period, you've conceded a couple of goals. Can you mix it then? 
you know, can you stay mouth and then? I would always say to a fella, you know, it's easy mouth when you're up five or six points, but can you mouth at me when you're five or six down? Then, then I've got a man in front of me, you know. But when, I, when we refer to soft touch, like we are, we are referring to the top six inches, whether whether people like it or not, that's fine. And we're here to give an honest opinion and an honest appraisal. And that appraisal is, is, is generated off playing them before, so that you mm-hmm. can get on top of them, you know. Physically, they're fine. They, they can tackle hard when they, when they want to, but they just don't, they're not the complete package in terms of, I suppose, intent. You know, it's very hard for me to explain this now, but what I'm trying to say is, you know, I don't believe them. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They're trying to mix it physically and they're throwing shoulders and they're, they're fist pumping. I just don't believe it. Do you know what I mean? When I see Ty De Burka and I see Conor Prunty getting, I believe it. You know, I really believe that this that they are on a mission. Do you know what I mean? Whereas when I see Cartland, I just don't believe it. And there's a, there's an element of fraudulence about it when I, when I see it. You know, well, like when it comes to perception, right? At some point, I, I'm sure it wasn't like Alex Ferguson when Man United were playing Spurs and Ferguson's halftime team talk was to allow the whatever 12 minutes to run down and just say, "Lads, it's Spurs." And Roy Keane would eventually write and say, "This is a moment of genius by the manager." I'm not sure if Anthony Cunningham or Neil Donahue or Brian Cody would have done this with either of you over the years, but surely this kind of talk about a perception of Cork must have went on within your dressing rooms then. I yeah. definitely but to see sorry Paul no no far away hmm. no we, we would never disrespect them that much you know obviously we know what they're capable of but our job is to make sure they don't reach the heights that they're capable of so Paul will tell you the same thing I guarantee you when they're addressing Cork or addressing anything we know they're capable of you know massive scores great getting, getting running you our objective is to stop that and the way you stop that is getting in their face getting physical making it a real warfare you know that's how we stop them from from popping pints from all sides and running into lovely spaces and, and geeing up the crowd. You know, that's what we would have addressed. We would never have had the height of disrespect for them saying that, oh, it's Cork. No, Cork, have a, from a Galway perspective, have a greater history than us, have seven times more Ireland's than us, you know, so that has to be respected. But the way to get after them was, you know, the physical way and the mentally, mental toughness side of the way. So I, I, I'd assume Kilkenny was the same way, you know. Yeah, look again, similar. We we would never disrespect a team by saying that. And I think it's bad preparation for any team. And I think everybody knows that story, the Man United one of saying, "Okay, it's Spurs." But like, yeah, I think that's a very hard thing to do for a for an inter-county team to go out and you know the, where where would your head be at if you were going out and if you genuinely disrespected a team but anytime we played Cork you know we had great respect for them as much as any other team and we respected more so what they're capable of doing and, and, and they beat us you know there was days where we went down and you know Cork gave us a, maybe beat us well enough or whatever and we learned lessons from it um, so we never disrespected them that way and there was, I, there was never a day we played them thinking oh this is going to be a handy one here we're going to be out for an easy one because a lot of the pl- matches we played against Cork down through the years and I think it matches down in, in Parky Rin particularly in the league you know you gained a huge amount from it because there were savage battles particularly when you played them in Cork that was always a big thing and you know more so we would have played them in league matches and like I said the, the, the All-Ireland quarterfinal in 2019 and, and the quarterfinal in 2013 so outside of that, we weren't exposed to them overly. But we used to gain huge amounts because they always brought a great intensity if you played them in Parky Rin or Parky Cueve. Um, they had great hurlers, you know, and, and, and there were some days they came and they brought massive intensity. But, you know, it still just goes back to that. That wasn't always there the whole time. Um, like James said, there was there was ways you could get at them and there was ways you could get in their face. And But I uh, look, to be honest, I think if you go back to the, the Kilkenny teams or the Galway teams that played the Cork teams in 2004, 2005 time, you know, that was different again. We're, we're, we're really referring to a generational, you know, I suppose, team because I'm, I'm sure the Dermot O'Sullivan's and these lads and, jo- and John Gardner's and Sean Oaks, they were a different kettle of fish altogether and the mentality was different again. So... 
we're very much just talking about individual groups of players here, and maybe what we're seeing at the moment. But um, look, certainly no one, no one's doubting the, the 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 history and the heritage of of Cork hurling because this isn't a trait that they would have had down the years. Yeah, it's not me trying to get any of the three of us banned from Porky Cueve this summer. I'm not sure if you've got Ed Sheeran tickets to go next month, but Westlife. Um, yeah, if I'm not going to get any of us in trouble, <laughs> let, let's have a look at a few of the positives that Cork can maybe take from the game. Uh, Shane Kingston, I was talking to a few of the Cork journalists afterwards, they were saying, the thing that kills them, sometimes when he starts games, he doesn't quite have the impact that he has when he comes off the bench. Yet he came off the bench with great intentions uh, at the weekend, played with great intent, I should say. Uh, three points scored in a cameo performance after he was brought into the game. The hope to the Cork journalists that I was speaking to were, if he starts, that maybe he can have that same kind of impact. I know it's very different when you start in a game versus coming on, but Kingston was a bit of a bright patch when he did come on, James. Yeah, he is, he, and he showed great energy and a kind of a kind of a carefree attitude. He he's a bit like uh, I have a reference Ali Gunnar Solskjaer when he used to come on for United. You know, brilliant at watching the way the games develop and would score. You know, and when Kingston came on, look at the Kikini game last year. He scored seven points, I believe. Yeah. And like he just came full of energy, attacked the open spaces, the game opened up a small bit for him and he became an ace, you know. But then when the game starts, sometimes he doesn't get you know, get the I won't say supply of ball, but he doesn't find himself himself in, in a more unstructured way. He's always structured. If he's in corner forward, he stays there. But when he comes on, he seems to pop up in different spaces, you know, he seems to go on where and run where he wants to run, but whereas he starts he seems to be in a, a specific position that might not suit him. Maybe he's a guy that needs you know, the freedom at the park and run, run, run where you go and you know you get on the ball because look what he scores he scores you know two off the right one off the left and but just find himself in space and he was a great out ball for for a cock defence who under ferocious pressure you know and he's a, he's a bright spark for for a team when he comes on um, but just doesn't show it enough when, when he starts you know and Paul another player who impressed he got the goal right at the end which was a reward for some of the running he was doing in behind the wall for defence that didn't necessarily got there was uh, I thought Robbie O'Flynn played very well. Yeah, he had a great game in fairness. And like that goal as well, that's like, for me, what that goal said in fairness to him, like he wasn't giving up the ghost and he was going, he was going about his business and still trying to do his job. And in fairness to him again, like, you know, there was positives there and, and Robbie O'Flynn's performance was one of them. And, you know, even going back to the likes of Shane Kingston, like Shane Kingston is kind of the small bit of anomaly at the moment. I mean, what the performance he put in against Kilkenny in the semi-final last year, I mean, if he could bottle that or if he even reached 80% of that in the game and did 70 minutes, he'd be savage. And up until he got the red card this year in the league he was really performing well and I, I suppose for, from my point of view I was looking at it going God you're looking at a half forward line here of Lehan probably going really well and Shane Kingston as well you know you throw the likes of Robbie O'Flynn into the mix there as well if those players were taking over going really well playing confidently like that's a dangerous a, a, a dangerous mix there it's a very potent mix of lads who can run a goal and score points and also track back so there is positives from it and like you said Robbie O'Flynn definitely was one of them took his goal really well ran at the Watford defence but I suppose you need a few more Robbie O'Flynn's doing it you need a few more lads maybe believing that if I can get the ball I can take on this Waterford defence um, if I can find a gap and score a goal they need one or two more lads doing that but definitely look it's not all doom and gloom for, for, for Cork uh, they did have a few um, a few good performances there the weekend but Robbie O'Flynn probably was, was, was the biggest performance they had well, Paul is a former All-Ireland winning cornerback. I'll give you a first shout on Sean O'Donoghue, who was in on Desi Hutchinson. And look, Desi came to life for his goal and he did a lot of selfless running. I was talking to Michael Ryan, the former Waterford boss, after the game. He was making the point to me that just because the ball didn't get to Desi Hutchinson, it didn't mean that Desi Hutchinson wasn't pulling the Cork defence around a bit. But still, as a man marking job, O'Donoghue did a very good job there. 
he did do a good job yeah and he's, he's someone I've been impressed with like he's, he's a lad who's in great physical condition as well um, and he's you know he's one of the more fiery characters that you see in, in, in the Cork defence and that's something look we'll, we see what we're talking about there 15-20 minutes ago that maybe that's something they need to introduce a small bit more but you know he has a great bit of fire about him he's a great bit of aggression he always gets stuck in and again a, a tough job on, on Desi Hutchinson and so many lads have failed to do a good job on Desi over the last while but you know I think it's something it's definitely something that they can take from the match no more than Robbie O'Flynn performing well that you know I don't know who really put in a good performance there and there's only so much he can do in that position as well when there's so much good ball coming in you know he, he can he can win a certain amount of it and he can defend to a certain extent and I'm, I'm not throwing in any excuses for the cornerback club there but you know you're very much relying on look he can win a certain amount of ball or he can defend against a certain amount but he needs the outfield players cutting off that supply more he's going to try and create the platform to cut off the supply to Desi Hutchinson and the balls that do come in he can go toe-to-toe to toe to Desi Hutchinson but if there's a huge amount coming in and then like that there's there's players running off the, sh- the shoulder there's only so much he can do but he did put in particularly in the first half really good performance and looked really strong and to be honest I just think that like we were saying, if there was a little more protection afforded to him and afforded to that full back line, I think they could actually maybe flourish a small bit more. And it's that thing of in the full back line, like, I mean, once once that space opens up in front of you, there's, there's only so much you can do. And when you have so many runners coming through, you, like, there's very few defenders can defend against it. But certainly he was a positive and he put in a good performance. Um, for as much as he could against Desi Hutchinson. But again, look, Desi still came away with his scores. And I think, to be honest, more of that was what was going on out further in the field and the protection that was or wasn't afforded to Donoghue in the cornerback position. Yeah, you can watch the full chat, by the way, with Michael Ryan on Off The Ball's YouTube page. If you're checking us out on Tuesday on Off The Ball, maybe it's a video to flick across to after you've watched us. But this is what Michael Ryan had to say about Liam Cahill. I started by asking Michael about how much of a boost it was for Waterford that he turned down the advances of his native Tipperary last summer. Absolutely thrilled. No bones about it. In my opinion, he's the best manager in the country. And any county would love to have Liam as manager. I think he looked at all the options. First of all, he didn't get the Tipperary job a couple of years ago maybe he felt he should have got it and then you know when they, they came looking for him again and I don't know what the terms and conditions were I mean may, maybe he, he didn't get a free reign to get it but we're delighted to have him because first of all you know everybody knows where they stand with Liam Cahill his, his honesty and his commitment and if you're doing the stuff for Liam Cahill he'll kindly to pick you if you're not you'll soon be found out and you'll be sent packing and sent home so I'm absolutely thrilled was a bit concerned but when, I, when that news is confirmed to me it was a weight off my shoulders and every word of it supporters should be really happy because this this performance tonight is a typical Liam Cal performance mm. everyone fighting hard everybody running for the ball I've seen him training I'm involved in the Waterford under 20 Holland team we train beside him this is the fittest team in the country and Liam doesn't take any prisoners and also Michael Bevins and in fairness to Stephen Frampton and Tony Brown as well they have a really good management team so thrilled to have him and looking forward to more good days with him but Waterford have the ace in the pack and the ace in the pack is Liam Cal and I can give him to you as I stand, stand in front of you now There'll be no complacency with Liam Cal. They'll be back in training during the week. They might enjoy tonight and they might enjoy tomorrow. But next week will be business as usual. They'll be down in, in, in Carrigan or training or maybe in Welsh Park. And they will and they will be ready. There's no question about that because that's Liam's forte and Michael Beaven's forte and the management team's forte. They, you know, they, they will, they will realise that Tipperary are coming to town. We have to be ready and they will make sure all of it already. I'm very confident about that. 
So James, Michael Ryan there, who's involved with the Waterford under-20s this year and has been working a bit with the senior management alongside uh, Liam Cal. And after that conversation, he was straight down to the pitch to chat to Liam Cal about the performance on the night. He's openly admitting he was delighted that Liam Cal stayed around. He's called him the best manager in the country there and says he's the ace in the pack for Waterford now because if there's any risk of them running away with the success that they've had this year so far, he said no chance. It's going to be all about getting prepared now for Tipperary in a couple of weeks' time. Is Liam Cowell the best manager in the country, James? That's a hard one to answer now. Um, like, first and foremost, I think his, his reputation increased even nationally uh, when, when he decided to stay at Watford. I, I myself thought he was certainly going to go to Tipperary and start a rebuild process in his own county. It was a huge vote of confidence for the players, specifically in Watford. Like, to mind the county board, to mind the supporters, but just for that group of players where he put in the two years' work and for him to come, turn around and say, I'm staying... When you would view probably a golden opportunity in Tipperary developed, he avoided it and he stayed with, with the group that's there. That's a huge vote of confidence. And that, that probably did spur them an extra couple of percent. Um, and when you look at Liam Cahill, you say, God, just from looking at him now, again, from the outside looking in, he's, he's, he's not a man I cross, to be honest. You know, he looks quite authoritative. You know, he's very assertive. He's very composed in the way he does, he does interviews. He's always very measured in, in the way he... He, uh, he talks, which obviously means he's measured in the way he thinks. He doesn't really get overly animated on the, on the sideline. He looks very tactical and structured. So he's not a guy who's running, racing up and on the sideline and kind of acting like he, he doesn't know what he's doing. He's very, he seems like a guy you'd follow. And I, I often say about, that, about managers, especially in GEA, it's different in soccer and rugby, whereby you know, on a professional basis, you're left to your own devices as a group of players. Mm. But on the GEA stand, stand, standpoint, you kind of follow your manager, you know, and I looked at, I would have looked at, let's say, obviously Cody and Kikini, obviously, is that he's, He's a very confident person, like very, again, he's in stature-wise, he's a big man, you know, he's done it all, let's say, so he has it all behind him, so you're following him, you know, and like the way he conducted interviews with uh, with tough questions from reporters o- o- over the years, you know, signified that he's well able to take them on when he wants to, you know, and uh, I'm looking at Cahill, I'm thinking, God, he's, he's a guy I'd follow, you know, and I just think that, I know we spoke about it earlier on, Watford look very collective, they look very together. And they look like they're, they're heading on, on, on a, a single-minded mission to go for that Ireland. Um, is he the best manager in the country? Very difficult to say. It's actually impossible to say. You have to, we have to wait until the end of the championship and see how all this transpires. If Watford maintain their current uh, trajectory and they win their Ireland, then there's a shout for it. But, mm-hmm. you know, we can't show any disrespect to the likes of John Kiley, who's achieved what he's achieved over the last four years. You know, that, you can't show disrespect to Brian Cody who has done what he's done over the last 20-odd years, you know. So, But look, it remains to be seen, is he the, is he the Pep Guardiola? You know, the, the, the new guy, you could say, who came into the old brigade? Yeah, fair enough, I'll give him that. But I think he needs to, another couple of years, to really kind of put himself into the category of the best manager in the country. Yeah, I think, Paul, that's a debate that's going to go on, but he probably has to turn this Waterford team into an All-Ireland winning side, maybe get past this great Limerick team, because Limerick supporters will be the first one that will point out, yeah, since John Kiley went in there, he's won the lot. Uh, Brian Cody <laughs> has won the lot over a 20-year period. Uh, that's a big CV to try and overtake if you're going to be the best manager. Yeah, and as James was saying, it's a very tough one to try and quantify who is the best manager, um, especially at one current time. But look, we all appreciate what Liam Cal is doing at the moment and his own spin that he's after putting on Waterford, really. And he's playing his own brand of hurling. The commitment he's shown, like James was saying there, to sticking with Waterford and sticking to the process, that's a huge thing because obviously, you know, 
that was a tough decision, I'm sure, for him to make. But the fact that he stuck to, uh, he stuck with Watford, it just shows that he believed in the process that he was doing and that he saw that Watford are and 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 capable of winning an All Ireland final, which I'm sure fed onto the Watford team. That the Watford players believe that you know this fella believes in us so much that he's he's willing to, I suppose, take down what would be the top job in his county. He's able, he's willing to turn that down to stick with us. Um, but yeah, look, I mean, Liam Cal doesn't care what anyone thinks, whether he's the best or whether he's the second best or third best manager in the country. You know, I've seen lots of things from Liam Cal over the last while to say that he just has this steely determination about him. And really, and it's not to go back to say about the Austin Gleeson sending off, but, you know, seeing his reaction when Austin Gleeson was sent off, they were up by whatever, you know, 15 points at that stage or 18 points, whatever it was they were up by. And he was just disappointed that they gave. They gave ground to the opposition, you know, that... They, they they didn't maintain what they were doing and that there was a small slip and that you know that that disappointment was there in him and that for me just said a huge amount about him that he wasn't happy with you know that they were, they were up by x amount on the scoreboard he wanted them to once they saw the finish line to blast over that finish line you know not taking their foot off the throat with Wexford and there were so many indicators there and he's given so many indicators along the way you know the tip match down in Watford again that they just went out and, and, and they just took on tip. They hit them from the start and a really explosive performance. And it goes to show that he's well able to, I suppose, get the team to come to the pitch of the game. You know, as in, when 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 tip came to town, we forecast that that was going to be a real savage battle and Watford were going to bring it. And they did. And it's similar enough again to the match over the weekend against Cork. We said, look, he'll have these lads ready. And they were. So he really has great control. He knows what he wants from the team. And more importantly, the team know what... They, what's expected of them so it's a very hard one to say that he's better or worse than John Kiley or any of these lads there's so many great managers there at the moment but certainly his name is in the hat there and I don't think anyone would argue otherwise that he's he's one of the best if not the best in the country at the moment James our takeaway at the end of this league though probably has to be that Waterford are Limerick's most live contenders uh, we have to wait until week two for them to meet in the Munster Championship what a game that's going to be mm-hmm. but ahead of that meeting Waterford look their closest challengers, don't they? They do. Uh, they do because I think when you, when you look at Limerick, you look at, you you would say two things about them. One, they're extremely physical, and two, they're extremely organised. So both from a defensive perspective and an attacking perspective, they know what they're doing. You know, and when you look at Waterford at, at, at the moment, you'd have to say they're in the same position. They're extremely organised, both defensive and attacking, and they're extremely physical. You know, now the thing that I think would help Waterford throughout the year is we mentioned earlier on is the panel size. So Watford, at the moment, again, probably have 22, 23 guys that they can realistically put into championship and they'll do a job in any position. Limerick, it's, it's strange because when you lose one player into county, you think maybe the effects won't be that much. You know, it's a lot more uh, impactful on a club when you lose one or two players, the whole thing gets rejigged. But the loss of Peter Casey can't be underestimated. You know, the former Seamus Flanagan can't be underestimated. And I think, you know, they, Limerick have... The seventeen or eighteen players. They don't. I don't think they have the panel that everyone thinks. I know. Look, don't get me wrong. The the Reedies and the Ryans are good players to come in, but they're not at the level of the Caseys, you know. So I, I just think that Limerick have 16, 17, maybe eighteen players that are at top championship level. Whereas Watford seemed to me at, at the moment, you know. And I'm not trying to be disrespectful to Limerick. I'm just calling as I see it. They have over twenty, you know. And that I think that's been proven in the league, to be honest. Yeah. And you know, it's be so interesting to see how they meet. Like, will they go? They're going to go. 100% toe-to-toe because the Munster Championship is going to be so hotly contested there's no room for error there's no room for subpar performances you have to win every game to qualify because it's such a cauldron 
Um, so I, I'm eagerly anticipating that game, you know. But that's not to say every other game doesn't matter because I know through all the conversations we're completely discounting the Tipperaries and the, we haven't even mentioned the Clares, you know. Mm. So those people deserve their own respect and they'll be lying patiently, you could say, waiting for these these big teams to come to town. So again, it's going to be a good championship. You can patiently wait until the lads do their big championship preview next week ahead of the start and then you can get a, a fair run on both uh, Tipperary and Clare and see where they're at because look for all we're talking about Waterford's mum Paul it could all go wrong if they lose against Tipperary in the first game and then we're changing our opinions on everything but we reserve the right to change our opinion as we go along <laughs> given what we have seen Paul though from now we've seen you know, all the Division 1 teams have played five fixtures at this stage and we've had the semi-finals and we've had the final does it look like the gap to Limerick is closed, given if we're going to take the Waterford now, the team who are closest to them? Yeah, it's 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 a tough one to call, but certainly I think what we have now is we have more contenders, I suppose, that we can we can hang our coat on and say that these lads will put a savage game up to Limerick. A little bit what we saw with Limerick in the league is that we were questioning are they stepping back into the pack a small bit. Now, I still think when Limerick come to Championship, we're going to see more of the old Limerick because they're going to have their starting 15 on. Something we haven't really seen in the league is their best 15 on the pitch. But... I think what we're looking at also now is that Watford last year coming off last year would have felt that they were the team to play Limerick in an All-Ireland final now look they got their chance in the semi-final and Limerick deservedly won but what I'm seeing from this Watford team is that they want another crack at Limerick or they want another crack in the All-Ireland final and that they believe whereas you may be one or two other teams you kind of think the scenario has to be right for them to actually or the conditions have to be right to go against Limerick they need one or two things they need to hit form they maybe need to meet Limerick on an off day but you're looking at our Watford now saying maybe Watford, Watford believe now that they can go out and beat Limerick and that's what we're looking for for contenders against Limerick and you know there's other teams there as well that they'll believe it in their own camps that they can go out and, and take a scalp off Limerick you know we've seen Cork do it over the last few years there's nothing to say that Cork can't come along and put in a savage performance and catch Limerick you know um, so there's certainly teams there that's what we're looking for is teams who believe that first of all they're capable of beating Limerick but they also that they have the panel and that they're they're heading towards the, the, the area of actually going out and savagely challenging Limerick mm. well that is where we'll park our conversation I think on Division 1 because we had the final before him, which was Division 2A Westmead coming through fairly comfortably in the end against Down 5 goals and 19 points to 117 in the end Killian Doyle the Westmead captain who has been just a prodigy of a talent going back to when he was 12 or 13 years of age when his club Raharney himself and his brother Kieran, who's injured at the moment his twin brother but uh, also a very very good hurler uh, Killian with 111 uh, for Westmead is their very young captain this year uh, also Davy Glennon who we spoke about with James last week scoring 3 goals and a point and Cormac Boyle last year's captain uh, scoring a goal late on in the game as well to just add that little bit of extra gloss to the result it's a funny old game because Down played really well with the wind and used the wind very effectively in the first 10-12 minutes of the game uh, Paul Sheehan nephew of the manager Ronan again playing very well he terrorised Westmead in the group stage game a few weeks ago uh, he fired over two early points in the game and you start to think maybe down have hit their stride had finished top of the group stages had an extra week off to prepare for this but once Glennon's first goal goes in Westmead just take control and they were well ahead six points up at half time having played against a stiff enough breeze which went down as the game went on and then Westmead just took control in the second half and uh, those extra goals that they popped in with David Glennon's finishing especially uh, there they are now winning their fifth trophy over the last four years so maybe that shows a little bit about the up and down nature of Westmead as well going with a couple of Joe McDonough finals uh, getting to two Division A's uh, sorry two Division 2 A's winning them and coming back up to Division 1 it's going to be tricky James for them to stay in Division 1 or to stay in the Leinster Championship but 
you can't ask for a whole lot more from Westmead. End of last year, win the Joe McDonough to get back into Leinster for this year. Then they get relegated the week after that by Leash out of Division 1 and they've come straight back up out of Division 2A after a campaign where they had to come through a bit of adversity after those defeats they suffered against Carlo and against Down. Yeah, like this league campaign, I think when when they look back on the league, obviously they've won, won it out, but it wasn't without its challenges. You know, the, I presume that the, the loss at home to Down probably was a bit of a season changer, probably a bit of a milestone date when they look back in their year. But Westmead can only do what's been asked of them. I know there's a great debate around the you know, the, the levels between 2A and, and, and 1A and whatnot, but they can only win the games put in front of them. They can only compete in the, in the competitions that they're, they're competing in. And they're doing fierce well. When you look at the, the, the role of honour over the last couple of years, has been very good. Um, they're just at a level, they're kind of stuck in limbo a small bit, if that's, if that's a bit fair, whereby they're better than the pack below with respect, but they're not quite at the pack above. So for them to keep, all they can do is just keep doing what they're doing. Keep striving to be to get better, to keep striving to get into the top the top competitions and to compete day in, day out, and hope that over time they develop a level of game or even a level of youthful game whereby they, they uh, interject some youth over the next couple of years that they can maintain, call it Division 1 status, Lee McCarthy status for, for a, a prolonged period of time, not just up, down. And it's difficult. Like, I don't, don't get me wrong, like... The, Probably, I think hurling in Westmeath, for, from again from as a Galway man, is probably perceived as the second sport. You know, to be honest, um, and when you consider where they are in the overall national rankings of this, of their overall second sport, you could say they're probably <clears throat> are they eleventh, twelfth? You know, again with respect. Whereas in the football, they're not they're nowhere near that. Do you know what I mean? So it's I just think there's probably a historical issue there in that county where probably they they mightn't be able to uh, implement you know hurling stru- structures maybe as strongly as they like. You know. But I go back to what I said. They can only do what, what, what they're doing, win the games put in front of them. They've had good success, which is important for the group. They have to win what's, what's, uh, what's, uh, what's considered a championship or a division that they should win. And uh, their main objective from here on in is just to maintain status, maintain Lee McCarthy's status and do what you can for that. But it's going to be fierce tough because like, they're up against, you know, they've got a tough draw, a real, real tough draw from the off. So look at, best of luck to them. But, and, and like you have to admire them as a group to keep going. But uh, they've got a tough one coming up in the next few weeks. Yeah, not to preempt the power ramping power rankings even this week on OTBM, but Westmead will be in twelfth position because they're, I think, just behind Antrim, just behind Leash, and that's the thing, Paul. When we step outside the nine counties that are that bit stronger and those that will be looking to contest for Liam McCarthy honours, you have, I think, a very clear group of three or four teams that are just behind them. And realistically, when Westmead start to look forward now, it's probably going to be themselves and Leash who are battling out to stay in the Leinster Championship itself it's probably going to be Antrim coming out of the Joe McDonough. It's probably going to be Westmead, Leash, Antrim who are going to be fighting it out to stay in Division 1 of the league next year as well. So whatever we're getting the exposure to play against the bigger teams and the big nine teams especially, the main aim if you're Westmead, Leash or Antrim is to win this little mini table against the other two teams to make sure you stay in the top flight. Yeah, that that's it, you know. And look, I suppose these structures are in place so that we try and bridge the gaps between these teams and try and get everybody up to a level playing field as best we can and look by seeing Westmead coming back up it just shows that, well it's a validation for Westmead people and the players that you know that they're, they're not a million miles away but there is a gap then to I suppose the, the top tier of, of the Division 1 but look again there's nothing to say that the likes of Westmead we've seen Antrim do it last year again we talked about beating Wexford and beating Clare up in Corrigan Park and you know those big scalps are there potentially for a Westmead to, you know to maybe put in a savage performance against you know 
we saw Carlo going up to Galway there a few years ago and you know putting in a really good performance that, that, that was huge you know again for Carlo to just be competing toe to toe, to toe with these teams so similar enough to Westmead look again like you said there's a pool of teams there that will be looking to beat each other and after that those teams will be kind of looking maybe to take a scalp off a bigger team and, and build from there but certainly I think look the best place for these lads are is in Lee McCarthy and is in Division 1 if they're looking to push on because the only place you're actually going to really improve your team is going up and, and, and testing your mettle against the best teams we've we've said it numerous times on this podcast that like okay you're going to ship a beaten every so often and that's unfortunately going to be the position but for me anyway and I know people would disagree for me anyway I still think it's the position you have to be in is that okay you accept where you are and you go right we're going to go out and potentially play a Limerick team or play a Galway or play a Clare and we might get bet by a fairly sizable margin but for those days, those days will have to be put down for us to progress and really, if we, if our intention is to compete really strongly down the years, maybe in five years or 10 years or 20 years time in, in, in 1A or 1B and in Lee McCarthy, well, this is somewhere we have to go and this is something that we're going to have to forego and go and actually, you know, just face into. So again, I think you're right, Will, if that's what we're going to see next year, we're going to see those teams competing against each other. But look, if you ask the Westmead players two weeks ago, three weeks ago, you ask them when they were bet by down um, during the league, would is this something they would have taken? I guarantee they would have taken your arm off. So they're where they want to be. And they're great hurling county. And like James was saying, look, they have a great tradition of hurling in Westmead. I would have played against great players as well, including the likes of Owen Price and these lads. And they're, they're great hurlers and they have a great passion for it there. So they're where they want to be. They're very deservedly there. It was a great win for them as well the weekend. But um, look, unfortunately, like you said, Will, they're probably going to take one or two beatings next year, but they won't care about that for now. They're going to focus on on next year when it comes around and 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 the matches that they're they're going to target to win. Just to your point about upsetting the odds, uh, it's funny, right? You talk to Westmead supporters, and there's eight senior clubs at the moment in Westmead, and it's a very kind of hardcore group, and the clubs are very close to each other, and they draw from a small enough pool of players realistically. So you know a lot of the fans when they go to games, I end up chatting to them after some of them. They remember performances like. Tipperary a few years ago when they went to Semple Stadium and how well they played against a huge team probably more so than winning games like Division 2A finals and winning the Joe McDonough and similarly considering the two games came within six days of each other Leash supporters seem to remember more fondly the win against Dublin in the All-Ireland qualifiers than beating Westmead in the Joe McDonough the week before in Crow Park getting that kind of scalp and that unexpected result almost means more than winning the games that you're almost expected to get a victory in. So it just goes to show how important it is for them to be playing against these type of teams. I look at Westmead as well, James, and you know, I was chatting to a few people about David Glenn, I was chatting to Michael Ryan about him and uh, chatting to some of the Westmead management down on the pitch after they collected the cup. And they actually pretty much all echoed what you had said last week. Because I said, look, having David Glennon's finishing power in that forward line makes a huge difference. And they were saying, no, you know, the best thing about David Glennon is what David Glennon brings off the pitch. Mm-hmm. They were all saying that he's a little bit crazy in a good way. <laughs> Nail on the head stuff there, Will. Yeah. <laughs> I could tell you a story or two about that, but it's not for these channels. No. <laughs> and I'd say people around going know the stories too, which involves me and him. But um, look, I, I, when he was released from the Galway squad a couple of years ago, I, I think across the board, everyone was disappointed, you know, because he's a great person. And as I said before, he brings great energy to a panel that, that kind of creates a camaraderie and it creates a, a positive, you know, kind of vibe in the restroom. And like, if you're going to be successful in any team, you need to have an element of serious positivity in there. You need the odd joker. You need a guy who, who can throw in lighthearted comments in, in, in the midst of a serious setup, you know. And he does that. Like, he's a, and people are drawn to him. Like, he, and he's a good fella. And, but he always backs it up. 
I, I know it's one thing people will, will comment about him off the pitch being a bit of a, a bit of a joker and, you know, and whatnot, but he always backs it up. He trains fierce hard. He'll be in fantastic condition and he'll, he'll, he'll always be one of the best club hurlers in the Galway Championship every year. And so he puts himself in a position whereby he can he can play for as well when given the opportunity. And that's what that's what Westmead got. You know, they got like in terms of what he came into their team, they got a big money transfer. You know, they got a big money transfer from another another big county, big club in, and he's he's created a, you know a good vibe in there and he's the most important part is, is he's doing it on the pitch. I know we can say off the pitch, but like what he did again at the weekend, scoring like overall ten points to his team, three one. You know that can't be under, understated, and he's going to be vital to them lads. Like vital to, to Westmead, like when they, for example, go away to Leash. That's a huge game for them to try to try to try and target in the championship. And uh, look, he's like he's probably got two or three left in him, so like he's going to be an important player for them the next year or so to maintain Division One status. We're saying and try and make a push for 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 survival in Liam McCarthy. So they got a good one in him. Maybe Paul, look, players don't transfer into county all that often. It's very unusual for it to actually happen, but. I wonder if Glennon could be an inspiration for some lads who maybe fall out of favour at a stronger county and they've got connections to a county near them and they could potentially drop down a level and add two or three years to the winter of their career. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've heard the debate happening, particularly this year. Look, we've seen a few of the the lads who would be on extended panels in Limerick going and playing with Kerry and I suppose strengthening Kerry's cause. And, you know, some people would be against that and obviously some, you have other people who are for it, but... Look, well, I've seen players over the years, I mean, who have left Kilkenny and they went to work in Dublin, subsequently went to, to, to play for Dublin. The likes of John Mulhall as well, I would have played with, won an All-Ireland with Kilkenny, went and hurled with Kildare. You know, so it, it is something that happens and it is something certainly that, like like what David Glenn's after doing with Westmead there, it's, it's a huge boost for a fella, never mind, you know, that he's a great character and great spirit and what he brings to the dressing room. But I suppose having that vote of confidence that a fella is willing to go in and put the same jersey on and he, okay, he's won an All-Ireland a few years ago, but he's willing to put his lot in with you and, you know, it's, it's it, I think it must be a massive vote of confidence and I'm only speaking from, I suppose, from a neutral point of view saying, hypothetically, that's that must be what they what they bring. But, you know, that experience in a dressing room and I, I do think there is, a, there is a, I suppose, market isn't the right word for it, but certainly there is an area there for a fellow, okay, you, you fall out of, of favour on your own inter-county team, but you're maybe working in Kildare or you're working up the country somewhere and that you can you can stick your oar in with that county. For me, I think it's something that would actually, you know, if if it's going to promote the game in that county and that it's going to bolster the cause of that of that team, I think it's a positive thing anyway. But I certainly know there's a lot of people that would argue against that. Hmm. Well, look, there's no guarantee David Glenn's even starting when championship comes around because Westmead are getting to a point now where Niall O'Brien, who's a very important player for them, is just coming back to fitness. Angus Clark, their captain from a couple of years ago, can't make the team currently, but generally was a very important player for him. He's kind of just fighting to get back into the side currently. So Glennon will still have to keep playing well if he's going to get into the team. I don't think anyone in Westmead is missing out because of the fact that he's come into the panel. I feel a little bit for down. Um, Again, I'm always impressed by Connor Woods, who was playing at centre-half back for them. I thought he had a really good game, uh, carried the charge for them. They did not fall to pieces when they conceded uh, their third goal after half-time. They kept battling and battling away. And a bit like the Cork game, they got themselves a late consolation goal within the fixture too. They really, really missed Donald Hughes, who was important earlier in the year. He's a knee injury, wasn't able to play. Uh, They'll be hoping that he gets back at some point during the Joe McDonough because they'll be looking to at least maintain their status in the Joe McDonough for this year. It's hard and down as well. If you play in the football structures here, you finish in your top two, you get promotion. In the hurling, you have to win a divisional final to get promoted to the division above. And it's difficult for down after having such a good season 
to now have to go into Division 2A next year to battle to try and get back up to top spot again it's going to be very difficult to do so um, but they are well placed uh, for the Joe McDonough Cup which gets underway their campaign for them in a couple of weeks time Westmead will play against Kilkenny James I want to ask you about uh, Noel Connity the Westmead goalkeeper because he would have played against you for Galway as a forward mm-hmm. and then strange enough situation where a couple of years ago uh, they were backing another goalkeeper early on and then they decided they needed to make a switch. Noel was managing the Westmead Miners at the time and it seemed his career as a forward in the team had come to a close. Noel Condy was moved into goal. A lot of the thinking at the time was actually something we've spoken about a few times in the show, his distribution. Because as a forward, he was good in you know tight areas. He's got a good puck out. Played very well at the weekend in goal and played well last season too. Is it difficult to adapt to be an intercounty goalkeeper? God, that's a, like... It's it's not an easy task. I won't lie to you. Um, like again, with respect, I I don't see it happening in a county whereby they're contesting the high levels of Lee McCarthy. To be mm. honest, you know, I wouldn't see someone come into coming into the the Cork team or the Galway team who would be predominantly be an outfield player and hop into goals. Now, mind you, like Derek Fahey, who's a sub goalie for Galway and played against Waterford last year, he plays outfield for his club mainly because they have a goalie as well, and he's probably better served outfield. So he wasn't predominantly an outfield player, you know. Um, but in Noel's instance, like you know, if in nowadays game, if you have good touch work, you know, you keep yourself in relatively good shape, and you've got good distribution, and you've got good hands, you could, you know, you, you could do a job in goals for sure. There's no two ways about it because the job of goalkeeper has changed over the, over the last number of years. As we know, it's not as much as about st- shot stopping, albeit it's quite important. It's more about maintaining possession, starting the attack from puckouts, and being a seventh defender, i.e., a back pass for, for nowadays. So, so you're nearly like an extension of a defender, like uh, one of the backs more so and then there's a quarterback as they like to say when you have the ball in hand so that carries a greater level of importance nowadays than it did probably you know 15 years ago 15 years ago 10 years ago it was about driving the ball as long as you could keeping it as far away and and being there from your for your shot stopping and probably your catching so i think there are opportunities for 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 players who who as you said maybe at the twilight of their their outfield playing career uh they could be in their their mid-30s and probably slowing down a yard but they still could have great hands, great touch work, and they can go back and go into the goals. And you look at, like, goalkeepers can play right up to 40, 41 nowadays if they keep themselves in relatively injury-free. So, there's an op- like we said there, there's opportunities for everyone. Um, I won't say now, Murphy will be going into goals for Dainsford in a couple of, <laughs> couple of years' time, is it? <laughs> but this way, I won't be moving over anyways. Um, but uh, you're right, like, and kudos to them. Like, it's, it's, it's a ballsy move from a management perspective to put an outfield player who probably didn't have a massive amount of minutes and goals put him in there and stick with him because they are going to make mistakes and if you're going doing uh, a move like that and making that kind of decision then the man has to be afforded some opportunity to make an error you know he he's not a top intercounty goalie as you could say just yet and so he's going to make errors he's going to have judgment errors he's going to have make wrong decisions in the game because he hasn't got the minutes so he has to be afforded an opportunity to, to make an error and grow in the game so again that's a ballsy move from Westmead yeah, Noel will be the first one to point out and say to me, look, I've won a Kyo Cup now, I've won a Division 2A League, won a Joe McDonough last year. Uh, things haven't been going so bad since he's gone between the sticks. Have you got, Paul, had a chance to see much of Tommy Doyle? Because I think Jogger Doyle is one of the best players outside the established counties. He's already shown what he can do at senior championship level. He's marked players like Callanan and Canning. He's got physical attributes to be able to mark, you know, big target forwards like that. He's very good on the move and very good with the ball as well. Have you seen much of him, Paul? 
Yeah, well, I think particularly where a lot of us would have seen uh, would have seen Tommy would have been against Seamus Callanan down in Semple Stadium that day. Like, I mean, a great performance and really, not to say what put him on the map, but just what put him on the map in terms of defining him as he, he's able to play against these really big players. Like you're saying, he played against Canning as well. But yeah, I've seen him I've seen him in fits and starts there and he's a great anchor for that Westmead team as well just because, you know, I mean... It, it can be hard enough to find these real central players that can you can build your team around. And certainly, you know, if if, if they want to make great gains against bigger teams, you, you, you kind of need your marquee players or need to have a few marquee players that are able to go and maybe perform really well against top inter county forwards or backs depending on where you're playing him but uh, no he's a great player in fairness to him he's, he, he looks like one of these lads and we talk about some of these players that could probably make it in any county and certainly he's one of those players but um, definitely the performance look a few years ago against uh, against Seamus Callan and that was really one of the performances that kind of stood him out as okay this fella you know this fella could really could really make it in any in any inter county team but um, really impressive player and look again you need these few players if you're going to go and, and win the accolades that, that Westmead after winning over the last years and having a bit of success in the Joe McDonough and different things you need to build your team around these players and he's just been a fulcrum for that team and you know just goes about it does his work maybe it's not the most glamorous work to be doing but does it really well and performs a really really important function for that Westmead team and we might be talking about David Lennon's goals at the other end but I think he deserves serious credit as well for his consistency over the years because consistently he's performed really really well and he's performed well particularly when they needed him so um, a man probably that we won't be writing the headlines about or that any newspaper will but he performs really well for Westmead and you know I think some a lot of people would agree that he would make it in a lot of a lot of counties and that's not to be patronised or anything he's a very good player that's the plight of playing in a full back line you're very rarely going to get the headlines you might get them for doing something <laughs> bad uh, you, on, you only get them for hurling bad in the full back line unfortunately <laughs> yeah, yeah you want to go on the goals Murph <laughs> see what to say about you <laughs> yeah I'd say he was a joy to watch uh, last weekend because yeah. he was on Sands who had been really good in the fixture back in the league and Doyle got a real handle on him at the weekend and the other thing is when he gets the ball he popped off a couple of passes and went on for a 1-2 and he's not like a fullback who is racing back to get back to the 13 metre line the minute that he pucks the ball away he was happy enough take a couple of possessions walk up a bit and then play a clever pass away appreciate that when you get to Division 1 you're not going to get the time that was one thing that really mm-hmm. stood out watching the two games even though they started a couple of hours apart is that the space that opened up in the Division 2A game and the space on the ball for maybe and not a perfect control or not a perfect pass or a pass that's played slightly behind someone you don't get the time to readjust at Division 1 someone is right mm. up in your face straight away and that's what Westmead are going to have to face it was interesting I was chatting to um, the Westmead players were upholding the GPA ban currently on uh, speaking to the media but I did have a chance to speak to Joe Fortune uh, the Westmead manager after the game and it was interesting we, we started talking about the defeat against Down and the fact that Westmead then you know, effectively had to win the rest of their games if they were going to be promoted and this is what he had to say about the pressure that fell on the management team during the middle of the campaign are you particularly proud about the fact that after the defeat that you had against down a couple of weeks ago there was no wiggle room left whatsoever if you're going to get promoted you had to put in two big performances to be carrying down to get promoted after that and you know that hurt you know because i think even some of our own doubted us then you know what were west me doing and you know who is this fella up managing them and it hurt me personally i stopped that day in kindergarten going down the road i'll be honest with you and i questioned whether you know i had the real backing of the county board and the players and the players met together and that really hurt me that day but 
Yeah, we needed a kick up the hole maybe. We needed a kick in the arse to kind of really get us back on track again. And it was the players that led it. It, was, it wasn't nothing to do with me. Like it was, they looked for higher standards from themselves that day. They locked the doors in Cusick Park and they addressed themselves as in, we need to push this thing ourselves. Now the coaching is fine. You know, the management is fine. The fitness stuff is fine, but we just didn't perform. And look, credit to Ronan Sheehan and that down team as well. I'm not going to take away from the fact that they've had a, an amazing league. People underestimated them, you know, and they're a really, really strong team. And the work that he's doing with them is, is phenomenal. Um, and look, I'm just delighted for our own lads today that we got over the line. Look, there's a big show coming on here now. These lads, these Westmead lads need to aim for bigger days as well. But, you know, we have a Leinster Championship to look forward to now. But just proud of all of them, from Noel and the goal all the way out to the lads that come in. Because you have to remember, we have seven or eight lads there that got no game time today. And they're training as hard as Davy Glennon and as hard as Tommy Doyle. And it's hard on them. And that's that's the part that, that hurts the most, that you can't give them all a chance. Like, you know. Just before we're beaten by the pipe band here, how much of a boost is it ahead of Leinster Championship to have that bit of silverware and also promotion secured? Is, look, we've been in two competitions, Will. You know, we've been in the Kyo Cup, we've been in the D- Division 2 for this. It's a boost, but let's be realistic about it as well. The task that's ahead now is, is a colossal one. But those lads demand high standards of themselves, and we'll give it all we have over the next number of weeks for Westmead people and for Westmead hurling. That's a genuine promise. We'll do all we can for that. As the Westmead manager, Joe Fortune, speaking to me on the pitch at Semple Stadium after they were crowned the Division 2A champions. And James, you know, he didn't mince his words there that during the campaign, particularly after that down defeat and the way they hurled in some of their games like against Carlo and against Kildare, there were question marks from the players uh, looking introspectively about themselves, you know, even to the point that they were locking the dressing room, leaving the management outside for a little while and having a conversation about how the journey was going to go and the players would be the ones who'd be pushing things on for the rest of the campaign. All's well that ends well when you get promoted on the back of that. Did you ever have that happen during your career where as a group of players you felt that you kind of had to batten down the hatches and maybe speak to each other about the direction that you were going? Well, I suppose that that's kind of speaking broadly, but like we we as a group, like we I went through four or five managers, you know, so like we we've had we had topsy turvy we had great some great years, some poor years, you know, managers leaving, managers have to go, etc. So I, I normally when I when I base opinion on this, I, I look at more of a negative situation because I think a Dublin in twenty thirteen whereby we put in a very, very bad performance in the Leinster final and we as a group came together the day the, the day after. So we met ourselves just just as players and it was no dig at management. It was just to look around the table ourselves and say, right, what lads, what are we doing? Like, you know, what are we at? Because what we're doing is not good enough. Us looking at each other, not pointing at our trainer, not pointing at our physio or However, we're looking around at each other and pointing at each other saying what we're doing <clears throat> as of right now is not good enough. It's substandard. So that meeting, uh, the purpose of all that meeting was to kind of look each other in the eye and just reset the clock again, you know, because what we've been doing up to date was was insufficient, you know. We had that. And then me Dunne, who would have always said, with regards to management group, they're facilitators. You know, they put everything in front of us. Um, they probably develop a game plan. They set up all the training sessions to try and get, get the best of our talents out, out on the pitch and they pick the best squad, the best team possible. After that, once you cross the white lines, on your own, that's, you know what I mean? So you do whatever you have to do. So if there's a bad performance produced and it's because of a lack of energy like Wexford had last week or it's because of a lack of intent or lads are kind of moping around the place and feeling sorry for themselves and not put the bodies in line, that's on the players. That's completely on the players. That's not on the management. You know, It takes a much bigger issue for, for, it to, for you to assign it to the manager. But as I always remember those words Michal said, they're the facilitators and what happens after that is up to you boys so when I listened to um, the interview there that screamed to me that the players probably looking at themselves after the down game and says not good enough lads this needs to be up big time and probably they'll look back in the year as I said and they'll say this, that's a milestone that's a milestone mm-hmm. in our year if they go on and, and you know maintain Lee McCarthy's status they'll look back in the year as being very very successful and they'll say a turning point was that day uh, in the first down game so look I think every group whether you're, you're an amateur or you're a professional 
or even if you're a singular athlete, you have these discussions with yourself from time to time. And it's not, you know, like, it's not like a reset whereby things aren't good enough and we have to change them and, and move forward or else we're going to be going out early, knocked out early or, or bet every day we go out. So then I think for a successful team, those kind of conversations are, are going to happen and they're important. I'm kind of doing the timeline in my head here. Anthony Cunningham would have still been manager in 2013 at the time? Yeah, he, his first year was 12. Uh, yeah. he did, Cunningham, did Cunningham mind that she sat down after that defeat then? Um, not particularly. I think yeah. probably he, when he looked at it himself, um, objectively he would have said probably that what, what we produced on the pitch wasn't, uh, wasn't good enough and wasn't, uh, wasn't at a level that he, that he probably talked against in Ireland, obviously, because we were knocked out the next game. <laughs> you know? But um, it's just, uh, it, it's, it's, it's something that the players have to take control of. You know, there's certain things, obviously, you'll take the, you'll take the guide of management, you'll go along with them for, for, for 95% of, of the time, but there's 5% of the time where you as a group of players say, right, we need time ourselves because we need to fix this ourselves. You know, and that's, and you're talking about a group of adults, grown men, like who, who are in highly professional jobs, you know, highly pressurized situations. So, so they're well able to fix this themselves when they have to, you know, and well able to put their hands up and say, right, it's us versus anybody else. And I will say a couple of years later, that turned and it became a different situation, should I say. But uh, yeah. I think, I think most people know the story about that change of management uh, that happened in, was it 2015? Um, Paul, I'm not expecting that you're going to say that there was any conversations that happened until Kenny Camp where, you know, Brian Cody was locked out with the rest of his management team in Nolan Park <laughs> after a bad performance by Kilkenny. Because the one thing I've noticed about Kilkenny, and this was talked about again in the press box in Semple Stadium at the weekend, because it was the McCurry interview with BBC which came up, which was the fact that he had spoken about Mickey Hart and the fact that if Mickey Hart had stayed on for another year in Tyrone, he probably wouldn't have played that season. And it was interesting that maybe now that Hart has been away from the Tyrone setup for a couple of years, some of his ex-players are now talking about the end of the setup or whatever else. I have not heard a single player come out of Kilkenny and say anything about Cody. Yeah. I, in a negative sense. Yeah, in I a mean, negative sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, like I suppose talking about what we're talking about here in terms of team meetings and did we ever lock Cody out of a dressing room? We, we didn't, I can say that. We were in the WhatsApp there over the weekend and you were laughing at me saying I was probably protecting him. But no, we didn't genuinely. Like, I mean, it's funny the way people approach different things and different managers and their setups. Like, the one... The one, I suppose, incident that reminded me of the Westmead situation was, was actually when Galway bet us in the Leinster final in 2012 because, you know, Galway hit us hard that day and really that was a kind of a shockwave type of a thing, the way that Galway had beaten us that day. And we came in the following evening and it was very much a case of, Brian said very little, it was just a case of we're putting on the game, we're watching it for 70 minutes, nobody's talking. Well, nobody wanted to talk anyway, mm. but it was very much pulled everything out into the open and I think what we're talking about here is it's all very similar whether it be you lock the dressing room door and the players pull everything out into the open and expose all the wounds and say lads look this is how it is and either we improve it or we don't improve it that that was really the only thing I could compare to in, in Brian's time but look Brian would have always been very much Brian didn't care whether he offended anyone or Brian didn't care whether he got someone's back up he wasn't there to make friends with the players so but I don't think any player at the same time would be going harboring any big secrets that, you know, things happen in dressing rooms. Very little would have happened in dressing rooms. And I would have always said that, you know, it's funny, you'd hear rumours afterwards that, oh, this happened or that happened. And they never happened because I think people would rather, I suppose, a good lie than the truth. But really the way we would have worked over the years was we never had a situation not because players felt that it would have been a dangerous thing to do or whatever, but we never had a situation where we locked management out. And we're not saying, I, I'm not saying as a player that's a wrong thing to do. But we never had that situation. 
one thing I think you're looking for as a team is if he, if he gets a, let's say, a Westmead or beaten by down and they decided that they needed a circuit breaker, they decided, lads, listen, it's now or never. That's the thing. It's, it's that moment where whatever way you do it, you're trying to identify, listen, lads, if we carry on down this road, we're not going to win anything and hitting that home to, to your team. So Westmead did that by locking the door and leaving Fortune outside the dressing room. And it was really interesting to see and it was very honest out of Joe Fortune saying that, you know, he was driving down the road I think he was Kinnegad or somewhere he was and he had to pull in the car because he said, you know, he was having a real, I suppose, crisis of confidence really is what it was. But that's what happens after those things. And funny enough, the position Westmead are in now, you know, that's, not to say it's easily forgotten. It wouldn't be forgotten by the players or the management. But you, but that was part of the process to get them to win this league. Very similar, I go back and say, if if Galway didn't beat us in that Leinster final, we may not have won the All-Ireland final because it may have happened to us in an All-Ireland semi-final where a team hit us with what Galway hit us with in that. So that's the way I'd be looking at it, is that, you know, Westmead got their circuit breaker and... They stayed in the dressing room and they said, listen, lads, we have to address this if we're to push on. Um, you know, James is talking about when his experiences in Galway and when they had them moments. Sometimes teams have these moments. And the biggest moment we had was that one where I said against against uh, Galway in the Leinster final. But I couldn't honestly say that, you know, it's not for me protecting Brian Cody that we had these moments. We never had these moments where we locked the management out or we had a secret meeting or anything like that. I think in fairness, one thing he was very good at was you know, having very frank and honest meetings where the things needed to be said were said in public and said very honestly and players knew exactly what was expected of them. So I'm not protecting anyone by saying that and I can't speak for any other player, but that's that was very much my experience of how we dealt with tough situations like that in Kilkenny. Yeah. James, before we move off this, I'm just thinking you mentioned obviously twenty fifteen and things have kind of changed at that point. Did you as a group get annoyed in say twenty sixteen particularly when there was a lot of public commentary that it was like Ah, Galway have pushed their management under the bus and, you know, they're not going to go anywhere without them. Now, you go on and win the All-Ireland in 2017, so who cares yeah. what anyone said at that time? But as a playing group, did you pay any attention to that kind of discourse that was definitely around there in 2016? I'd, I'd say <clears throat> on an individual basis, probably probably players had their own thoughts on it. It, it mm. may have affected some in, in ways that I, I don't know. Uh, me personally, I, didn't care, I couldn't care less because when I was assessing the group as a whole, the 35 players that we had, uh, we deserve better, you know. Th- that was that was the situation. And the thing about it is, right? It's very easy for me to to comment on Leinster rugby or some of that from the outside looking in. Do you know what I mean? It's very easy for me to say what what, what I perceive to be the situation there. It's it's a much different situation when you're inside looking out because you know exactly what went on, you know. And for us as a group, we we saw what was being I suppose given to us. You know, if you, if you know what I mean, on, on the season of fourteen and fifteen, and we said if we got better, we win the Ireland. And that was a major challenge that we put to ourselves where I said, right, we're, this this is going to be either a make or break situation whereby we're going to be unified going forward all together, get what we want, basically, and go win the Ireland. You know? Now, granted, we were beaten a 16, very, very close game you know, to, mm-hmm. by, by, uh, by Chip, but at least we were right there and the following year we did it and the year, the year after we got to the final. So we were justified in our efforts at the time. You know, but before that, like from the winter of fifteen right around to the kind of the spring of sixteen, ridiculed, absolutely ridiculed. And then I think, if memory serves me correctly, will I think we got relegated from the league in sixteen? I think we did. You had a poor league campaign. I remember that. Poor league campaign. Yeah, I think we got yeah. relegated, and uh, 
the comments that, that, that the players shifted and, and Michal himself shifted that day was, you know, obscene. And the same type of people were coming to you in 17 saying you're great guys, you know. So to answer your question, I don't think it seeped into us at all. I think it was actually unifying because it was it was a make or break. It was, it was shit now or get off the pot, to be honest, you know, because you're after making your own bed, now lying it. And what had been a real travesty is if we didn't get to a minimum or our final or win our final in, in that next kind of year or two years, that would have kind of done long-lasting damage to that group on, on not only on a, a collective level but on a personal level outside of it, you know, because they would have been called, you know, player power. Let's say that probably killed the best team goal we've had in the last thirty years, etc. You you know the type of comments you shift, but that was all mm. put to bed when you won. So that was a, it was a risky chance, but a high risk, high reward. Yeah, isn't it funny how the narrative changes everything? Like. If you guys have finished up without one, say if you got close in 2017 and say lost the final and say as a group you kind of petered out over the last two or, se- two or three seasons, no Celtic cross, people would have turned around and said 2015 was a mutiny and you guys scuppered oh, it's yourselves. A, it's a, but we'll, like the question is, right, everyone will ask you, oh, how come Galway have more, more Ireland? The simple answer to all this is we weren't good enough. That's it. So you can look at all the excuses you want, left, right and centre. The fact of the matter is we weren't good enough. So when we came up against Lakini in 12 Scraped over the replay, to be honest. We deserved to be beaten that day. And the bet is fair and square. Because we weren't good enough. you know. But in 15, we felt we were good enough, but just didn't perform for the whole 70 minutes, for one reason or another. And the whole year as a whole, as a whole didn't help us perform to the best of our capability. So we knew we were good enough. And we knew we could win. Granted, it took a year after, to, you know. But everyone, all the people in Galway were saying, we should win Ireland every two or three years because of all these bloody minors. You know what I mean? So like as Jorak Nan called them their dancing medals those minors in 21s and that's with respect you know what I mean like, like talking around I loved winning them as a player it was great and uh, I don't even know where they are but it was great to win it great experiences but senior is the big one do you know what I mean so but too many people in Galway will say oh, we've got X amount of minors why aren't we winning more seniors valid question but you're just entitled to winning seniors when you win minors you heard it here first, folks. With all the success goal we've had underage level the last three or four seasons, doesn't necessarily translate into senior success in 2022. <laughs> <laughs> um, just a, a few comments um, just from the, the YouTube over the last seven days or so just have a look at um, before we finish up. Um, I'll give you this one, Paul, which is uh, someone who was reflecting on Wexford from last week. Uh, so this comment came in from Left Hand on Top, uh, giving us our grips. This is definitely a hurling fan. Uh, I wonder, are Wexford a bit of a spent force? Uh, Rory O'Connor was man-marked, played fairly average. I don't know if I totally agree with that. We were kind of discussing this back and forth during the week. Uh, proved during the league that he was carrying their attack. Don't believe Wexford threw the match in any way. It's not like they're winning much silverware. If they lose the first match against Galway, they'll be on the back foot straight away. So a little bit to unpack there, Paul, and all of this. I, I think Rory O'Connor was very well marshalled against mm. Waterford and he'll probably learn from that performance to be my first takeaway from it. But definitely when it comes to the game against Galway, that is a crucial season-defining game very early in the Leinster Championship for them now in two weeks' time. It is, yeah. And I, I disagree by saying Wexford are spent force. I mean, we've spent the majority, if not all, bar one podcast talking about how good Wexford have been in the league and they've been excellent and Rory O'Connor has been excellent as well. So by no means, no, it's, it's only one match. Um, it's, it's not a case of it's... They're in, they're in dire straits at the moment. Um, I think Wexford will perform really strong now when it comes back around to Leinster. Um, but it is, it's, it's, it's a, it is a defining game because if they had lost to Watford, let's say a little bit further back in the league, but then they went back to back and maybe won a few games, that Watford game is put to bed. So for the next game against Galway now, this is the game that will or won't put to bed that Watford match and that Watford performance. I think Rory O'Connor was marshalled really well, to be honest, against against um, Watford. And we talked about this as well. Um, 
again I would think myself kind of maybe the delivery of ball was made Rory O'Connor work that small bit hard but I think as well Watford were well warned you know they've, they've seen Rory O'Connor in the rest of the league that you know you have to mark him you have to go out there and put a man on him and cut him out and to be honest if you do cut him out that'll ship a lot of work for the back line it'll, it'll make life a lot harder on Wexford so what, look Watford identified it but I wouldn't say Wexford are spent force I think far from it I actually think they'll use probably the few weeks off now to really target the Galway game Everything they've shown us in the league so far, they've had great energy, um, they're playing really well. They had a blip on the radar, you know, and, and I know we took it apart last week and we, we we had a look at it from all angles, but I do think it was a blip on the radar in fairness. Um and I do think that they're gonna, you know, they're gonna consolidate and go back and, and, and play really well against Galway. That's not to say they're gonna beat Galway, but it's a tough match to turn around back into now and try and let that match be the one that gets you gets gets the show back on the road. But um I don't think they're spent force, no. Don't think they're spent force. But uh they'll you look, they're they're going if they if they're to take anything from that match and bring it forward is just that maybe they just need to the work rate again, we talked about it with Cork. It's just the work rate. Don't drop the work rate, but they have lots of options there again, leech in to come back. I, I, I think Wexford are far from spent force in this championship now. Yeah, and important to remember as well, Waterford were able to tie up a very impressive Cork forward line last week on. So, you know, six days later, we've more evidence of maybe how good the Waterford defence has been. And James, the last comment we're going to have a look at, and remember, you put anything up on our uh, YouTube when it premieres on Tuesday lunchtime or across the week when it's there, we'll throw it back at the lads next week and see what they think. Uh, Patrick Mullins, who's a subscriber to the Off The Ball account, says... All I know, and this sets us up very nicely for us uh, kind of leaving the league in the rearview mirror and now moving towards championship. Patrick Mullen says, all I know is this year's championship is going to be nuts. And I think there's an element of truth in that, James, that, you know, for the last couple of years, it felt like Limerick are way out in front and it's a case of everyone trying to chase them. Now with Limerick looking a little bit human during the league, the championship has a very interesting look going into it. It is, yeah, and he's right. And I tell you, a big, a big facilitator of that is the fact that we're returning to the round robin championship. Like the last couple of years, have been straight knockout, and you know, a result is a result. But the round robin championship brings in a little bit of an unknown as you head towards the, the, the last, the second last round, the last round, because results, score difference, you know, uh, weather, everything. Like it's just someone's going to beat someone that we didn't, ex- we don't expect. Like someone's going to topple Limerick. Someone's going to topple Waterford. You know, something's going to happen, and and like it's. It's always a fruitful championship. Like, and I know we were on the receiving end of it a couple of years ago, but the last day of the 2019 Leinster Championship, you, you had Dublin, Wexford, Kikini, and um, uh, and Galway heading in towards the last day, all all vying for a chance to qualify. And Galway got knocked out uh, after a draw between Kikini and Wexford. So that, that's the margins that you're talking about on the very, very last day. And that's after playing four or five rounds. So, like, I know that we're talking about it. The first day for Wexford is a big game, as it is for Galway. Like it's going to make or break. I won't say make or break. Excuse me, but it's going to set you on, you know, either a very positive path or a tough path. You know, because if you're losing your first game, Jesus, it's hard when you've got to make up ground against the Kikinis and the Dublins. So, look, something big is going to happen. You're going to have your your huge scores, your refereeing decisions. You know, you're going to have something that's going to throw a bit of controversy, and I'm looking forward to it, big time. Excellent, me too. And one thing I noticed in Apple Stadium too, uh, there were no heaters anywhere available. The guys in Hawkeye brought their own heaters with them for the game at the weekend. So uh, the guys in Hawkeye are very clever. I think they were only called upon two times two across times. the two games. So they're very cosy set up uh, in Semple Stadium. So they're well set for a Hawkeye for the rest of the summer there too. Um, if this is the first time that you found us here on the Hurling Pod, 
Uh, the best way to catch us every week will be wherever you pick up your podcast from. Subscribe uh, to the OTB GA stream there. You'll find the Hurling Pod and all the rest of our juicy OTB GA content going out throughout the week. Uh, by giving us a rating or maybe some comments on the episodes, that helps an awful lot to share it so other people will uh, get the Hurling Pod. And also, if you can just tell them about it by word of mouth, the other classic way of more people uh, hearing us each week. If you're watching us on the YouTube, you're probably one of the already 130,000 plus subscribers on the Off The Ball YouTube. Again, if you could give the video a share throughout the week or tell your friends about it, it makes a massive difference for us and helps with that uh, horrible YouTube algorithm as well. Lads, thanks a million for joining us and uh, looking forward to the championship uh, preview next week as we edge towards the start in Munster and Leinster. Thanks, lads.